0: All right, today we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. We are beginning a series on the book of Colossians and Philemon. They they are two letters of Paul that kind of go hand in hand, and we'll discuss that as we go along. As you're turning to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians in the New Testament, it's in the middle of all those letters that Paul wrote. As you're turning to Colossians 3, I'm just going to give you kind of some introductory issues regarding the book of Colossians. Uh, It was written by Paul. It was written by the church of Colossae, probably around 60 AD. Um, It was written from prison, probably his first stay in prison that he was headed to at the end of the book of Acts. And it was written to a church that in a city that he had never been to. More than likely, Epaphras, who is mentioned later in the in the book, Uh, Met Paul in Ephesus, probably came to Christ under Paul's ministry in Ephesus, took what he had learned from Paul and went back home to Colossae and planted a church. And uh, Paul has heard a report probably from Epaphras um, and is writing to deal with two different influences that had crept into the church there in Colossae. And if you don't remember these two influences, that's okay. We'll deal with them as we go throughout the book. But one was some Greco-Roman philosophies that had entered into uh, the worship service and the theology of the people there in Colossae. And also some influences of Judaism um, that always seemed to creep into most of the churches that Paul planted after he left, even though he didn't plant this one. But today we're going to look at the idea of in Christ. This phrase in Christ or in him or with Christ or with him. Shows up often throughout Paul's letters. It shows up quite a few times in Colossians. And, and I think it really would help us to understand the message of Colossians if we understand what this phrase means. So we're going to look at that. Now, it shows up in today's passage in the phrase with him. Um, but uh, so today from Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to you today, we do ask that you speak to us. Speak to us and give us the food of your holy word. Take the truths that we learn today, dig them, plant them deep into us, And use them to shape and fashion us in your likeness. Do that so that Christ's light may be seen in our acts, in our deeds, in our words. And fulfill in us your glory through this word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are you? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever tried to answer the question, who am I? You meet somebody new at a party or at a new job and they stick their hand out and they say, hi, my name is Ike. And of course, they're expecting a response. What they're asking is, who are you? We typically answer that question in many ways. Guys, we often answer the question, who are you? By what we do, by our occupation. I'm a pastor. I'm a father. I'm a husband. Not necessarily in that order. Women, I don't know, how do you guys answer that question? Sometimes it's by relationships, who you're married to or who your children are or who your friends are. Culture has a whole bunch of different ways that it tries to get us to answer that question, whether it's occupation or family, orientation or race, gender or political identity. Basically, our culture teaches us that we make up the answer to the question, who are you? We make it up as we go. But the Bible presents us with two options for the answer to the question, who are you? We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. And so today we're going to consider what it means to be in Christ. We're going to consider some personal implications and some corporate implications of being in Christ. First, what does it mean to be in Christ Now, this is a phrase and variation of the phrase that just fills Paul's writings. If you just kind of sit down and and read through Paul, maybe take a book, maybe take Colossians. This would be a good exercise for this week is to take the book of Colossians and read through it at least once. It's a short book. It's an easy book to read in a in a very short amount of time. But look and count the number of times in Colossians it says in Christ or in him or with him throughout the book of Colossians. And you'll see that it fills the book as well as many of Paul's other writings. And throughout the history of the church in theology, this this phrase has been represented under the headings of the mystical union or union with Christ. And what this means is that we, through faith, are united to Christ. Now, we don't one of the mystical teachings that crept into the church is that we're not absorbed into some mystical kind of spiritual absorption into Christ where we lose kind of our own identity, our own personhood, and just suddenly become this kind of uh, Eastern mystical just bleh, mixed up there in Christ. This is the power of the Holy Spirit taking us. And putting us together with Christ. Paul uses two pictures to kind of show us throughout his writings. The first is the idea of first fruits and grafting. Think back to 1 Corinthians 15. Where Paul talks about Jesus being the first fruits of our resurrection. In Adam is all the seed of humanity. Humanity. So whenever Adam had children, he passed along his identity as a human to his children, as a fallen, as a sinful human. And each of us, as we are born, as that identity is passed along, that identity of sinful, fallen human in Adam, we are like plants. We grow, do we not? We have a root system. Uh, we are planted where we are. We prosper or we fail Based upon our identity in Adam. And because we're in Adam, we're not good fruit producing plants. But what happens is the Holy Spirit takes us and He grafts us in to the vine, into Jesus. And then we are changed. Paul uses the, the language. We'll see it in, as we get to Colossians 3 and 4 under the rules of holy living. We'll see that we are new creations in Christ because we are united to him. We are grafted into his vine. It's not just for a group of people. It's for us as individuals. It is the basis of our salvation. The other picture that Paul gives, not only this first fruits and this grafting, but is the picture of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, you know, we usually get hung up on husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. Actually, we don't mind husbands love your wives. We normally get hung up on wives submit to your husbands. We'll get hung up on that later on as we go through Colossians as well. But marriage, Paul says in Ephesians 5, is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. Vance Joy, who's a a modern alternative A musician has a song called this mess is mine and one of the lines in the in the in the chorus is this mess is yours this mess is mine as you go through the song it talks about how there's there's difficulty in the relationship because we're 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 messed up people and i'm summarizing but he says this mess is yours this mess is mine First, second Corinthians, Paul says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. The messiness of our sin, the brokenness of our fallenness, the, the, the the rebellion that we have against God as being in Adam. In this union with Christ, that mess becomes his and is punished upon the cross. But we don't get a mess. We get glory. We get his righteousness. We get his holiness. We get his record before God so that we can stand before God and not fear the judgment. This union with Christ is the basis of our salvation. It is the basis of our righteousness before God. It is the basis of our new identity as humans. We are no longer condemned in Adam. We are redeemed in Christ. We are no longer sinners in Adam. We are now righteous in Christ. In Christ is the foundation of our salvation. It means that what is His is ours, and what is ours, thank God, was nailed to Him on the cross so because of that because of this union with christ there are some individual applications there are some applications for me as a single individual human being and for you as single individual human beings when we're in adam we have a twofold problem the first problem is a legal problem god has set these laws in place He has said, this is what happens if you violate the laws and we do nothing. According to Isaiah 65, we do nothing but violate those laws. Every work is as filthy rags before God. We have a legal problem. Union with Christ being grafted into that vine means that his righteousness is ours. He does not have a legal problem. He walked this earth as a human being. He kept God's laws perfectly in thought, in word, and in deed. And that righteousness is mine. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that righteousness is yours if you are in Christ and no longer in Adam. In other words, when God looks at your legal record, He sees a clean legal record. He doesn't just see... Ike's sins, but okay, Jesus covers them. He doesn't see my sins. He sees Jesus' perfect record instead of my horrible record. But there's also an ongoing benefit to this. We usually stop with that right there. It's called justification. We've preached it before. We've talked about it, especially right around the end of October when we do Reformation Sunday and those things. But, you know, there's an ongoing problem with me as well. I don't just have a legal problem. I have a pollution problem as well. My whole body, my whole being, thought, mind, everything is tainted, is colored, is polluted by sin. And that doesn't go completely away when I'm justified. And so there's this process called sanctification. Whereby I strive for the rest of my life to be more and more remade in the image of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I seek to be holy, be holy as I am holy, God says in Leviticus and Peter repeats it in his letters. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I am to strive to do his will and to remove places in my life where I don't do his will. And that is impossible for me apart from union with Christ. That is impossible for me apart from being out of Adam and into Christ. And so it is that union with Christ that gives me the ability to move forward in my sanctification, to move forward in my holiness, to move forward in that pursuit of holiness. If you were to read through the first portion, the first eight chapters or so of Romans, Paul touches on this over and over again. Should I sin more so that grace would abound more? Absolutely not. You're righteous. Live like it. That righteousness is the power for you to move forward into your sanctification. So union with Christ fixes my legal problem. Union with Christ Fixes my sin problem or gives me the strength to work toward that. It also has corporate implications. You know, when I am grafted into the vine, when I leave Adam and become in Christ, I'm not done, I haven't done that alone. You have too. I'm placed into a community, a new people, the people of God, who themselves have been moved from being in Adam. To being in Christ. That's why Paul says oftentimes. Encourage one another. Sing psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs. To encourage. To lift up. To help each other in that walk. Of sanctification. To help each other in that process. Of dealing with our pollution problem. Remind each other. Of who you are. In Christ. So that you can walk forward. Ephesians Three actually puts this in a very interesting way. Paul tells us in Ephesians 3 that it is the church that is progressively being made into the men of God? No. Into the man of God. It is the church that is being remade in the image of God. Not just me as an individual. We are in this together and by the power of the Holy Spirit we are united to Christ As individuals and then placed into a group of people who are united to Christ. So who are you? Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? If you don't know the answer to that question, or maybe if you can honestly look at yourself and answer it, well, you know what, I think I'm in Adam. Come talk to me or one of the three gentlemen that serve the Lord's Supper here in a few moments. And see what is necessary to be in Christ. See, the Holy Spirit works in people to bring them to question their identity before God, which is ultimately the only identity that matters. And so if you are questioning now, please see somebody. But if you're in Christ, it's important to understand something. In 1 Corinthians three twenty-one through 23, Paul says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You are Christ and Christ is in God. Being united to Christ changes our identity. How do we define ourselves? Sometimes we define ourselves by our community or in ways that our community or culture tries to squeeze us into the molds. As we mentioned earlier, orientation, gender, occupation, family status, cultural status, wealth, are things that our culture tries to force upon us in order to identify who we are. The church is a culture as well that sometimes... Seeks to identify, that seeks to push things upon us. You know, the truth is in Reformed salvation theology, what is the first tenet in the tulip formulation? Total depravity. And sometimes the church, especially me, is really, really good about reminding us that we are totally depraved. And thanks be to God, I have men and women in here who every now and then will speak up and go, don't forget Jesus, Ike. They don't say it that way, but that's what they're reminding me. Because, you know, that verse in Isaiah 65 that says all of your good works are as filthy rags. That applies over here to in Adam. Not over here to in Christ. Because all things are ours. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. Sometimes it's not just our culture or our community that tries to force an identity upon us. It's our family or friends, those that we love and that so love that, and that claim to love us. They, they tell us things like we're stupid. They tell us things like we're worthless. They tell us things that our actions are shameful and they try to force identities Like that upon us. And then sometimes, truth be told, each and every one of us takes something of those things and we embrace them as our own identity, do we not? And that's probably the strongest area where we force an identity upon ourselves that is not ours. And it's very rarely a positive identity that we grab, isn't it? We grab onto those shameless words. We grab those shameful. We grab onto that shameful identity. We grab onto that worthless identity. I knew a girl one time, I knew her in high school. she was a couple of years behind me. She had a math teacher tell her in eighth grade, "You're stupid and you'll never amount to anything." And you know what? She believed it. She owned that identity, and in many respects today still does. The funny thing is, this was a math teacher that told her that, and she is now a bookkeeper at a very large business doing a lot of math every day. But she still, in many ways, owns that identity that a, that a teacher that she respected gave to her. In Christ means this. God spoke to people twice in the Gospels about His Son, and you know what He said both times? This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. The second time he he added on, listen to what he tells you. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. In Christ, all things are yours, and I want you to I want you to hold on to that for just a minute. I, I mean, I was reminded of this. Uh, After I got home from vacation and left again to go to a, a church renewal conference. Probably didn't need church renewal. I probably needed Ike renewal. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. What identity have you grabbed for yourself? What word? What descriptor that just drives you to your knees in grief In sadness, in shame, in horror at who you are. There's a song out that says, I cannot believe that I'm the man I am today. And the point of the rest of the song is the reason he can't believe it is because he has betrayed person after person. He has treated person after person horribly. And he says, I can't believe that I'm not ashamed to be the man I am today. Because in many respects, each and every one of us is ashamed to be the person that we are, the man or the woman that we are, because we carry total depravity, we carry shameful, we carry worthless with us. And God says, beloved. God says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And no identity that you or the world can force upon you is true if you are in Christ. No identity that you force upon yourself is true if you are in Christ. The identity that you carry as a son or a daughter of God is beloved. Let's pray. Our God and Father, how marvelous it is. That we have union with Christ. It's not just that we boldly come into your presence. It's not just that we have greater access to you than even Moses had. It's that we have righteousness. We have the strength to pursue holiness. And we are your beloved. That is what it means for us. When we are in Christ, Lord, drive that truth so far deeply into us that we cannot help but know it. Drive that truth so far into us that we just rest in it, find peace in it, and find comfort in it. Lord, the world, our friends and family, even ourselves, try to force ourselves into a false identity. Remind us that the only identity that matters is that we are in Christ. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.